It's time for Knox Talk, a behind-the-scenes look at the business side of college sports. Featuring Paul Sickman from Knox Sports and Brandon Parks from the Vol Network. Now for today's show. Welcome to another edition of Knox Talk. Today is Friday, November the 13th. My name is Paul Sickman from Knox Sports here in Tampa, Florida, where a tropical storm featuring a Greek name is bearing down on us this week. My co-host, as always, is Brandon Parks from the University of Tennessee in the Ball Network. Hello, Mr. Parks. Coach Sigmund, uh, it's it's wet in Knoxville, Tennessee, um, just like I, I'm assuming it is uh, down your way. It is, and, and another week without football for you. Another week without football, although I can tell you after the last couple weeks, we may need another week off. Um, <laughs> Understood. <laughs> we, we've got we've to get our X's and O's and blocking and tackling under control. <laughs> Understood. Our topic today is uh, selling college sponsorships at big schools versus smaller schools. And our guest today is J.D. Byers. J.D. worked at the University of South Alabama in Mobile. I'm sorry, he still works at the University of South Alabama in Mobile. I have worked with J.D., for a long time, and I cannot recall a single sponsorship that he did not execute above my expectations. J.D. is not only an incredible salesman, he's also the talented play-by-play voice of the Jaguars. Hello, J.D., and welcome to Knox Talk. Uh, hello. Uh, kind of, I hate to say this, but not seeing a storm come towards the Alabama Gulf Coast is a nice change, uh, but, but do have you guys in our prayers as well. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Byer. So J.D. is also unusual in today's world of college sales in that he works for the school and not a multimedia rights holder like Learfield IMG, Fox, or JMI. And and I'll open again this week I, by just kind of telling a little background. You know, a half decade ago, Clemson and Michigan State were the two Power 5 schools that at Knox Sports that we worked with that did not have a rights holder. And I can tell you that our ability to execute at those properties in that period of time was incredible. Uh, a couple, you know, easy examples. We had a client that wanted to have a golf outing uh, with the Michigan State football staff. And at that point, we got the entire football staff, all 14 coaches that came out on a Tuesday and play golf with our client. Uh, and I cannot even imagine um, that happening uh, in a lot of situations. Another one at Clemson, similar time frame. We had a promotion with a grocery chain, and we called it the tailgate with the top tigers. And it was a year-round promotion where in football season, we had the baseball coach, the soccer coach, and the basketball coach that all went to a tailgate with you uh, in your tent and hung out. And then in basketball season, the football coach and the baseball coach and and all, all these coaches that were not in season all tailgated with you in every other season. So it was a year-round promotion where the coaches, we had access to them, and we conducted it, and it was a register to win, and it just killed it. Um, and that's just things that, that are more difficult when there is a layer uh, in between. So I'm really curious to hear J.D.'s uh, viewpoint today because access to coaches, facilities, licensing questions, and, and even tickets uh, are sometimes night and day easier when you deal directly with the school as opposed to some of the challenges that, that Brandon and other uh, multimedia rights holders have but so with these properties um, uh, now kind of out there I, I want to turn to you JD let's start there at that kind of that, that kind of question do you tell me about some of the advantages right off the bat that you feel that you enjoy at, at a smaller school South Alabama um, and it's in-house that maybe Brandon doesn't have well the, the relationships um, 
you know, I, I think that where, because I wasn't here on campus prior when there was a relationship with a third party, a reseller, uh, I kind of came in to help Beerhead launch the in-house uh, look at that. And what I am told, though, is that the relationships with partners uh, have taken a 180 for the better, that they feel more involved. They feel more of a pro part of the program. They're more excited to be games. Uh, and, and also they like the fact that when there need to be changes, uh, you know, during the course of a year, if something's not going right or there needs to be a change out in a spot or, or signage or they need to enhance something with now, you know, having the advent of social media, you know, we could do changes there. We've done them with Knox Sports uh, for some of your clients. And, and having that latitude and, and opportunity to make changes on the fly that benefit the partner is it's more symbiotic and, and, it, and we have that leeway. Um, so I think that's one of the big things. And then ob obviously with ticketing is, you know, we, as the university speaking for the property itself, we need to have tickets sold. We need to have people in stands. We need to have people involved and engaged. And that, that tends to be one or the other. Either maybe an MR, MMR says, you know, those tickets are passed through because you're charging us the rack rate because they're state property. And all we can really do is pass through and get that compensated in the package. Or if it's a really high demand ticket at a really good property that's, you know, perennially sold out and it's three major sports, they can't get them unless it's, uh, you know, negotiated up front and it's, and it's in the agreement, and sometimes they need even more. So some, sometimes it's kind of hard. And in our case, we need to be able to move tickets and do that. And internally, it's just like any other asset uh, that benefits our department. Hey, Brandon, has that changed for you over the years in terms of did you have more access, you know, in days of yore than you do now, or is that just something you guys deal with every time you have a, a you know, your rights fee comes up? I will say the, the access to tickets has, has always been there. Um, and the school has always tried to help us in every way possible. Uh, but I think what JD's talking about is exactly right. There is a pass-through expense to us. So within our agreement with the school, we essentially pay for all of the tickets that, that we purchase and use in sponsorship. So it is more of a direct pass-through uh, versus the internal model where if you include a pair of season tickets and and the face value of those within a sponsorship package it's you know it's a net it's a net up and up for you because uh, you're not only selling the sponsorship but you're being compensated for the tickets as well um but i you know I, and i know it varies at every school and demand based on the schools the school that you're at can be different um, but that that's where from a mmr perspective um, as a third party rights holder it really pays to have the close working day in and day out relationship where you feel like you're all on the same team. And, you know, in, in JD's case, I'm envious in some ways because, you know, that's, that's just inherently known that you're part of the team uh, rowing in the same direction as everyone else. You know, talking about tickets, I mean, I'm going to, let's just lay it out there. I mean, the fact that JD can essentially, if he chose, because it could, you can call it a net zero if you wanted, you can just say, hey, listen, we, we need 100 tickets for this client for this party, or we need to put 500 tickets in a package, and he can do it at a net zero. And, and he can do things with clients in that regard that no one out there in a Power Five can do, even if you were the school. But those are things we used to get 
with deals with schools when we are dealing directly with the school, and JD can do it just because. I mean, again, I'm not you don't have to go behind the curtain, JD, and tell us if you pay for them or not. But I mean, my goodness, the the, the flexibility you have has got to be incredible. Yeah, you know, because they are they are actually state property, uh, so you have to account for those. Uh, and but but there is leeway in the accounting where football because we're a group of five. Uh, and we're not putting in the numbers they are at Nayland Stadium. Is that uh, we do have to meet NCAA Division One FBS uh, like a rolling two-year average attendance criteria, and that's on paid attendance. So you have to have for an audit a paid amount for that ticket. Now the NCAA rules is it has to be at least uh, in, in the event of a group sale. I think it's you know no less than thirty-three percent of face value of your cheapest ticket so you know you can still count that ticket as a paid attendee of that game uh, so, so you do have to account for them there Ooh. basketball baseball the others they're not going to come at you for for your division one standing based on whether or not you're putting in you know x number per game on average so that's where that comes into play brandon how much fun would that be for you my goodness that's <laughs> that's that's pretty fascinating um JD, let me let me ask you this question. Um, knowing, I think there are a lot of advantages, and there's probably also some challenges that come with with being an internal marketing group. Can you talk about what maybe some of those challenges are? Whereas in a third party situation like at Tennessee, um, because we are a third party, we do not have to adhere to a lot of the state laws that the university has to adhere to so there's there's some purchasing power and things like that that we take on um as a private um company i'd be interested to know from from just an administrative standpoint you know wh what are some of the things that you like about being internal and then and then secondly what are some of the challenges that you face because of it and, and jd as a background right i mean you are in a unique state. You don't have any pro teams to compete with other than minor league, and and but you've got Alabama and Auburn that are just sucking the life out of sponsors, and then you get you got to kind of work around those guys. But anyway, I'll let you go. Yeah, well, okay. I'll start with the, on the personal side is that I'm a, I'm a state employee, so I actually work for the department, meaning I have access to state retirement. We're a medical school. I have top line benefits on the insurance for the family. Um, and I accrue off time like you wouldn't believe. The uh, the pay time off balances are remarkable. So that that's really wonderful. And do you now, get to use now? Can you use all that <laughs> available off time? <laughs> it, very rare. But you know you can use it when it comes time to retire, so you can retire early. Uh, yeah. So you can get credit for it. I'm I'm, a, I'm under the original tier one because I've been with the state long enough. Previous school coming here was in state. I didn't learn this until you know uh, six or seven years ago. Let's say somebody wants to put an outfield sign at baseball, uh, and, and it, it is nothing more than their logo. That uh, is branding. Now, if they put their logo, and then it says Paul, and then their phone number or an address, or come to our you know the website, and it says ten percent off with it, whatever, all of a sudden that now becomes a call to action, qualitative, uh, you know, piece of asset that now becomes taxable on our end. So, JD, that. Uh, it Talking a little bit about access to coaches, because I thought I always thought that was fascinating with the in, in the model where you know the not just small school but also without a, a, a rice holder. But talk about that maybe in your world. Is that you feel like that's something that gives you an advantage? Yeah. Uh, now I, I will say, kind of nice when you're at a school like we are now, 
where you've had a coach come up through the ranks and they understand it. They don't have high expectations. They're not spoiled. They're not looking for compensation other than what's already spelled out in their contract. They're very accommodating. They're very friendly. That's nice. uh, and they like to engage fans and sponsors because they see the, the end value of it all to, to grow the program. And, and all of our coaches here are, are very accessible. Uh, you know, some are a little different when it's practice time and when it's film time. That's what it is. And, and, but I think that's probably consistent across all sports. But, but outside of that, they're always helpful. So, JD, one of the this is you know Brandon and I have talked about this a little bit because we've obviously done deals with clients that don't have a lot of money and 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 which is fine. Um, it, it changes the dynamics a little bit when you have a client when you when you know where you have seventy percent, eighty percent, or even a hundred percent of their marketing budget is coming to you, uh, which is an honor. Uh, it's also scary and it also makes your life challenging. Uh, and Brandon probably has a half dozen of those folks that are clients of his that where they use they get most of their money, uh, and you have a lot of pressure to make sure that that works for you. And I want to start with Brandon, then I'll, I'll kind of turn it over to JD. I imagine JD, I'm guessing that that is a larger percentage of your world that you have a lot of local folks where you have a large percentage of their marketing spend, uh, and and kind of what that that does to your life as a, as a marketer and an executor, but I'll start with you, Brandon, and then I'll let you both talk about it. Well, and I, I'll say this, you're, when you think about like sponsorship at Tennessee, there are obviously varying levels of investments that are made. And, you know, we could have, we could have someone that's spending seven figures a year to be the official bank of the Vols or the official insurance of the Vols. And then you could go all the way down to, um, you know, a local restaurant who buys an ad in the souvenir program for $1,500 a year and then everyone in between. But w w ultimately what I think it comes down to is that it takes all of these sponsorships at all of these varying levels to ultimately get us to a place uh, where we feel good about the revenue that's generated. Um, now, you're exactly right. There, and I will tell you, in our, in our world, it, it really hits us more on a, a regional or a local level where you have a client and the vast majority of their annual budget is allocated to sponsorship with you. And so they are watching you every step of the way to ensure that that marketing budget is used and delivers results and a return on investment because that's what they're counting on um, with the investment that they're making with you. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, ultimately we have a job to do for every single client to deliver the most value that we possibly can, hopefully over deliver no matter the spend level, uh, because it, uh, it ultimately takes all of the sponsorships at all the, the, the levels and investment levels uh, to, to help us reach the goals and, and, and get us to where we want to be. That was wonderfully politically correct and how Brandon didn't say anything mean about any current client because he thinks they're probably listening. But, J.D., I will let you because I got to believe, <laughs> believe that you have an overwhelming number of people who give you most of their money um, from a marketing perspective, and you have a lot of pressure to deliver. Well, you know, on there are on our roster of clients overall the sponsors, but on my client list, my sponsor list, and I manage about 33 accounts last check is I, I don't have a whole lot. I will say this is if that happens and, and, and if some are moving that direction, I would almost want it to be gradual in that if client X has 20% with me 
a little bit in outdoor, a little bit here, and he smattered it around, but sees more of the benefit with me or with our property or more return or, or feels more warm and fuzzy about it, sees value that then those marketing dollars tend to migrate maybe from somewhere else over to us. And as we give him results and, you know, he sees increase in profit and revenue and, and he increases his budget, then that would be turned around and spent with us as well, seeing the value. There you go. Hey, well, which kind of leads me to my next assumption, which every assumption I make is probably incorrect. But, uh, but J.D., you talk about all the elements that you normally have in a package. And, and it was funny because what you didn't mention, which I know you sell because I have it with you, is social and, and radio and, and, and you know stuff across your, your network. But a lot of your focus and a lot of your success is on those executions that you just mentioned to trying to take the elements that you have in and around campus and in and around events and making people... Uh, react and and give a return on investment, but I think I want to go back to social for just a second because I think it's interesting. Brandon and, and I, uh, when we do deals together, we have to have social as a part of what we do. We have because that's just how people get information now. Brandon is talking to the state of Tennessee. It's impossible for the state of Tennessee to be engaged in every event locally, et cetera, et cetera. I guess I'm again a question for both of you guys is to talk about. JD, do you feel your perception is is that even today, with as important as social media is, that you still have more of an impact on what you're doing outside of it than inside of it? If it's not over 50%, I think it's much more important in growing daily because the updates and the content that, that has some kind of value to the client, because value to the end user doesn't always have to be the fact that they, they came to a game and they got to this coupon that had value. Value could be something they enjoy. And, and that's how you deliver it now is through social media, unique content that a fan could not get otherwise. And and so more and more, that tends to be one of the better platforms for us. Uh, and, and, and the measurability is so much greater too, because yeah, we got a, you know, we're a small school, but our radio network is 13 stations. It's about 3.6 million. There's iHeart on the stream. But how do you really measure that? But we, we went with Sprout Media, so all of our metrics are instant. So, Brandon, you know, I know that it's a huge part of what you do, but do you feel like that, that I mean, I don't know, you, you don't compete with anybody in your state. You've just got a daggum monopoly. Um, but in your state, <laughs> do you feel like, uh, you know, that gives you a big advantage, right? The fact that you can talk to everyone in the state with social and radio. Well, that, from a sponsorship standpoint, knowing that we do have a statewide audience that – that attracts that attracts a lot of companies because they're looking for for large large opportunities places where they can reach tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of fans and whether it's it's through a college sports program or a professional program and by the way we do have professional sports teams that we compete against in the state of Tennessee um, we like to think that we're the single largest activity in the state of Tennessee but it the audience size gives us a real advantage Social and digital specifically are becoming larger and larger components of our sponsorship as percentages. Um, and so we have to be aware of that. And, and I still think even, even in this day, there are a lot of people that say, hey, I need a digital component or I need a social component within my sponsorship package. And to some extent, they're checking the box that they did it. But not everyone truly understands how it works behind the scenes and what the effective reach actually is. Um, the biggest challenge we have, and this this is probably its, its entire other podcast, is talking about the um, the size 
and the demand that we have on social media from clients, that becomes a real challenge for us because we, we simply just don't have enough content out there. And I think JD made a great point talking about the uniqueness of content that would be consumable from a consumable from a fan perspective. If you put content out there, you want it to be good content. You just don't want it to create noise, uh, which makes it more and more difficult to reach fans because they turn you off. If you can't deliver content uh, that's, that's viewed to have value to it, it puts you at a disadvantage. So, so we have a, we have a real challenge here of managing the volume of clients that want access to social media and then being able to marry that up with the right content that's going to engage the fan base. And let me go back and say one other, one other point back JD was talking about earlier, as far as smaller clients, larger clients and things like that. I will tell you nothing in sponsorship is ever perfect in the sponsorship world. And there are times where we have to sit down with clients and have that conversation of, hey, I'm not sure we're ultimately going to be able to, to reach all of the goals that you've set forth within this sponsorship. And, and that could be a sponsorship investment at any level. And, but I think it's important to remember that this is a two-way conversation. As much as I want to be able to sell something, um, the client's got to be able to meet me halfway with the understanding that, hey, we're both going to work extremely hard together to achieve the results and goals that, that, that the organization has. But then, you know, there are going to be those times where uh, it becomes more of a one-way street and, and, and we can't reach those goals. And so, I, you know, over the years, and I, I, we don't make a habit of doing this, we don't want to do this, uh, but from time to time, I may have to say, hey, I just don't know if we're the right fit for you, um, which is, as a salesperson of sponsorship, is never, never a statement I want to have to make. But in my very not political way of saying this, it happens from time to time. And then UT Chattanooga and Middle Tennessee take up all those scraps? They take up the scraps or the client gets really creative and... and they may try to guerrilla market around us or they may go through our local flagship stations in the market and so forth and that's not all necessarily bad uh, but I, I think you have to have realistic goals and expectations in any sponsorship discussion whether you're getting 10 percent of the budget or you're getting 50 percent of the budget because um, you're not always gonna you're not always gonna make everyone happy so JD, I, I, we, you're a unique case because you're also the play-by-play -play voice. I, I give us some examples of, of how that has uh, how that has either generated revenue for you, or maybe you've been able to pimp yourself on the air and help some clients. <laughs> Advertising is quantitative. Sponsorship is qualitative. Where one in advertising, you're looking for return investment. What was your cash register ringing at based on this ad? What was your foot traffic through the door based on this? A piece of media or whatever you you, you but in sponsorship you're trying to build the, the the qualitative where it's it's the warm fuzzy connection it's the loyalty loyalty built through being a part of this team the fans understand you're also part of the team that they love and then the connection is made and maybe they don't walk through your door on monday maybe they don't walk through your door next week but when it comes time to buy product x they remember and have a high recall because they were in that passionate moment, either through listening on the radio, in, in stadium or in arena, seeing the signage, uh, whether it was on their social media, whether it was in a souvenir game program they took back, was it on the shaker that they've always kept? So if I, if I can kind of educate a sponsor that 
we're, we're dealing with two different realms and your expectations are going to be a little different in both. We can deliver both because some of it is straight up advertising, but, but don't expect it all to always equal a sale within the next 48 hours. So that's, that's great stuff, JD. That's great insight. Yeah. Good, good stuff. So tell uh, JD, ask, ask Brandon. Um, I know you have Alabama and Auburn in your, that you compete with, but you don't have to compete with Brandon. So tell him what you're, uh, what you really wish you had if you were a uh, power five school. And then Brandon, you could tell him, you could tell JD to cut some of maybe the freedoms that you have if you could be in his shoes. Um, you know, we, we have ways we position ourselves. Uh, and I'll, I'll say this, I, I have developed some relationships and created, you know, revenue through some buys and some multi-year contracts and agreements with people who necessarily wasn't into sports marketing or that they weren't spending that kind of money yet. And over the course of seven years, I've seen those same brands now become the official this and that at those two other schools you just mentioned. So that, I kind of take a little bit of pride of that. <laughs> and, awesome. and I almost like a finder's bird dog fee because that person is like, hey, he's the one who told me about, I should do this, this, and this. And it led me to those programs. Now, obviously they're spending, you know, a few more digits uh, over larger numbers. And that's fine because we understand who we are, where we are, and what we're doing. We, we essentially have about the same inventory uh, we have a 10,000-plus seat arena that's got all the bells and whistles. We're LED. We've got ribbon. And we're able to, you know, extend it to clients at a really good rate comparable to the others. There you go. So, I, I, I just thought about the fact, as you talked about that, J.D., as we have a, a hurricane bearing down on Tampa, that every time the cone of uncertainty hits, that's your radio network. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> that, you, you put it – you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, so <laughs> – uh, so Brandon, where you ever wish that you had a small school and you could do all the things he could? Yeah, I th- you know, I think there's always a thought in your head, and I'm sure JD's had this that the grass may be greener on the other side. I, I've always admired at a lot of the the smaller schools how they do so much in a lot of ways with a lot less staffing, um, and so you have a lot of individuals that wear a lot of different hats. I'm probably envious about JD and South Alabama's ability to move initiatives forward at a faster pace, especially new initiatives. Um, you know, because at, at Tennessee, it is it, it literally is this Titanic um, uh, of a program that that's been around for so long and it's it's become so big, but it's really hard sometimes to move the the ship um, in different directions, and so new initiatives and things like that we're extremely aggressive with, but um, there, are, there are many, many layers of approvals that have to go through, and that's not a negative on Tennessee. I think that's that's probably the norm at a lot of larger Power 5 schools, uh, but I've always, um, South Alabama being one of those, but but you always see some some smaller programs around the country who do some incredible, incredible marketing and PR type things, and you look at those guys and think, man, how did they pull that off? I know behind the scenes what it takes to get something like that approved, but yet they did it and made it look so easy. So that, you know that, that, that there is some envy from from that perspective and in, in, in just maybe how flexible and adaptable that they can be. That is a really, really good point that I didn't have down as a note, but that is true because I've been working with JD for a long time and you could call him and say, I have a bizarre idea. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. You know, and, and, and he's come to me with innovative things that just hit him uh, overnight and said, hey, I have an incredible idea for a client. Any one of your people like, and they, they just can. They can move quickly. 
Um, they can do things without having to seek 14 layers. Uh, and, and that's not just a function of, of not having a rights holder. That's just a function of having a small school with less egos involved and less um, layers to rip through. And so that's a great point, Brandon, about the advantage of, of a small school world. And I think sometimes having less staff makes it easier, right? You, you don't, yeah. it, you know, just not having all of these uh, people to kind of get rowing in the boat in the same direction. Um, you can just kind of go. And then JD's got the double advantage of being able to talk about it uh, through all of his platforms, uh, you know, with the coach interviews and the on-air stuff that he does already. So, Anyway, uh, guys, I loved it. I, I appreciate JD coming on board uh, and, and giving us a few minutes of his time today. Uh, and Brandon, again, as always, this has been another edition of Knox Talk for Brandon Parks. I'm Paul Sickman with Knox Sports. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again soon.